0: For good reason, people like to put us into hypothetical situations, uh, and one of those hypothetical situations is if you could stand before God and ask Him one question, and He had to answer it, what would you ask Him? I mean, I've been asked this, and I've asked this to kids and teenagers and adults, and I have been fascinated by the answers that we come, the questions that we've actually come up with. Most adults will typically ask questions about suffering, one way to heaven. Uh, what is what sin is really sin? Like we would we would want to know that because we just justify our behaviors, right? We'd ask about our behavior, our future, why God did something this way and not that way. We, that's typically where you find with kids. Their questions are like, "Hey, what's the deal with dinosaurs? Uh, how did that work? How, the Ark, and what's heaven like?" And it's funny because. I tried to set my kids up, like I was sitting at the dining room table with my kids as they're building Legos, and I was just going, man, I want to see what kids' questions would be. And Kai's question was, what is heaven like? And I'm going down the line, I'm like, quick, Jude, what what question would you ask God if you could ask one question? And he was like, how can there be one God, but yet he exists in three persons? I was like, you ruined my theory. (laughs) You didn't ask a simple question. So anyways, questions are important. I do believe they're excellent for us to be able to speak them because they communicate a lot about what we're thinking, about a lot about where we're heading, a lot about uh, what we're journeying with, and, and questions can get you started in a direction. They're good to ask questions. Churches should be a place where any and all questions can be asked. If you grew up in a religious experience and it was like frowned upon for you to even ask a question, I'm sorry Because that is not what it should have been. The church should be the place that explores all questions and allows people to process out loud and not suffer alone as they journey. So if you grew up in a place where asking questions was bad, I hope you can understand that that is not the heart of a father. The heart of a father says, come, ask your questions Come sit on my lap and ask all the questions. You are safe to ask these things. And so as a church in places and places and gatherings of faith that, that talk about life and death and identity and all of these things, it is great to be a place where we can ask our questions. But what about flipping it? What about allowing Jesus... To ask us his questions. You see, in, in the Gospels, Jesus asks lots of questions. And so, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of Jesus' questions. Now, they may not be, in your mind, the most important questions, they, you know, but they're questions nonetheless, and we have to think about them. Jesus asked these questions both to his disciples and to large groups of crowds. Either way, the words are recorded for us, so we have to think about them. They were meant for us to hear for this time in this place. Some of these questions we'll wrestle with. Some of them we will pay attention to. Some of them we will glance over. And some of them will set us off on a road for transformation. And so the first question Becca presented this morning, I want everyone to look up at me. Everyone look up at me. Look at me right here. Can any of your worrying add a single moment to your life? Can any of your worrying add even a single moment to your life? God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. I'm just kidding, right? Man, if the sermon is short, Jesus can ask me questions all day long. Uh, But if if I know you, some of you I do, some of you I don't, I know that worry and anxiety is not just something that occasionally shows up, but you're gripped by it. And I do want to say this. Anxiety is a real thing. And if you're in a place where diagnosis and needing to seek further help is in your path, do it. If medication is in your path, Take it. Anxiety and worry are a real thing, but we're talking about from the day-to-day, the person who is just always worried. Jesus gives us a prescription for curing our worry in the day-to-day. Can all your worrying add a single moment to your life? No, Jason, it can't, but... Right, like that's what we say. No, I know, I know it can't. But what's the what's the butt for? <laughs> Why the butt? <laughs> I know you sit on your butt. You're right. <laughs> Worry is like a rocking chair. You've heard this. It will give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. Right? I heard one speaker say that a, a, a him getting up and speaking costs him two nights of sleep. Two nights of sleep. One, because he's worried about what he's going to say, and the other is because he could have said it better. He's worried about that. I actually was watch. I can't remember what show I was watching, but I heard a guy who was talking about the dentist, and he hates the dentist so much that he double parks every time he goes to the dentist's, so he can worry about that to forget about the pain. <laughs> it's a good technique, right? I, I-, I was like, that's pretty, that's pretty slick. And while we're not going to spend time breaking down all the things that cause us worry, I found it fascinating that American psychologists have this list, and uh, a couple of those things you may suffer from. One of them is what causes us worry is what they call rush sickness. Have you heard of this? Rush sickness. It's trying to fit 30 hours of activity into a 24-hour day. Like, this causes people panic attacks. Trying to stay so busy and cram so much into a day, which is all we have, right? 30 hours in a 24-hour day. Straining is one on their list. And by, the, by, by straining, what they mean is there are people who believe they're not where they should be yet in life. And so they double up efforts, triple up efforts, quadruple up efforts to get somewhere because they don't think they're where they should be yet. The third one was mobility. In a five-year period in the United States, 75 million people uprooted and moved. 75 million people moving from new places, uprooting children, uprooting schools, uprooting communities, uprooting churches, and going. People always consumed with moving, with moving, with moving. It's, it's crushing us with anxiety and with worry. And the fourth item on that list was the threat of nuclear destruction. So there you go. Rush sickness, straining, mobility, and the threat of nuclear destruction. But again, Jesus asks us, can all your worrying add even a single moment to your life? It's a good question. Jesus asked this pointed and humorous question in the midst of the greatest prescription known to cure our worried hearts. The Sermon on the Mount. This question would have been processed by anyone and everyone that was sitting that day, walking by that day, journeying home that day. They would have heard, can all your worrying add even a single moment to your life? The Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful portrait of Jesus. The more you read the Sermon on the Mount, the more you go, this isn't just about behaving. This is about Jesus He is the picture that we see in the Sermon on the Mount, starting with the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are filled, the the, the pursuit of the pure heart, the righteousness, and all of these things. You start going, wow, that is Christ. That's not just about me. That's him living and breathing before me all of the things he's teaching. But then you start to see a new way of living described in the Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you that don't know, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is this beautiful portrait, not of a people who will be in heaven, but a people who will represent a new kingdom here on earth. And when I say a new kingdom, that means we have a new king. And the kings and queens that are being dethroned because there's a new king is us. You and I, the reason people don't like this kingdom of God talk, it's because the kings and queens that God is coming after to remove us from the throne is us. And so you see Jesus open up the Sermon on the Mount with blessed are the poor in spirit. That doesn't mean those who walk around and go, woe is me, I'm a terrible person, I failed, I'm awful, I'm this. I'm... No, it's, I'm, I don't got anything. The poor in spirit are the ones who stand before God and go, I don't have an ounce to stand on. I have nothing of my own. And Jesus says, the poor in spirit will be blessed because it's the kingdom of God that belongs to them. Those who would come before God going, I have nothing, I'm broken, I have, I have got to be emptied of me. This isn't us just getting rid of our physical stuff. There are people who are way w- more willing to, to denounce the physical stuff than they are to denounce themselves. Christ calls us to put everything down, put ourselves down, put the throne that we have built, the kingdom we have built down because his kingdom has come. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is this beautiful portrait built on these empty people who have been filled by God himself. The Sermon on the Mount is no small thing. In fact, I think we kind of go, ah, that's too high of a standard. That's too much. I don't think Jesus was serious. I think he was. But I think how we go about living the Sermon on the Mount, it's not up to us. It's not our own strength, but it is being filled by the presence of God. Every other word out of Jesus' mouth is built on these empty people. Before Jesus asks this question in Matthew chapter 6, he points out our treasure. He talks about the danger of storing up treasure here on earth because it's going to crumble. Whether moth eat it or rust or it gets stolen, it will will come down if it is built here on earth. And he talks about storing up treasure in heaven. And he says where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so worry is a treasure issue. What you treasure will either cause you to stand in faith or will cause you to worry. Worry is a treasure issue. Then he looks at the eyeball. And I love this little moment with Jesus is a fascinating moment because he starts talking about what we look at. And in the Jewish culture, the eyes and the heart have been known to steer the life. So what you look at will cause you to, to run after. Your life will flow from what you are staring at. And Jesus talks about a lot, an eye filled with light fills the whole body with light, but an eye filled with darkness fills the whole body with darkness. And so he's saying what you look at really does matter. But then he talks, takes it to a whole nother level. He says that for those of us who are staring at something that is darkness and we think it's light, it will be worse for you. And that means that if you think money is what you should be chasing after when God has clearly said we're to chase after him, if you're like, money will be my God, it will be worse for you because you will think that that money will bring you life when it actually will cause you death. It's just like when Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner, right? You guys remember them? They're the ones who the, the Roadrunner would paint this beautiful like, uh, uh, bri- uh, a bridge scene right on a rock. And that coyote would be running full steam ahead right at that face of that rock, painted to believe that it is this beautiful cut through, and he smashes himself on the rock. Right? This is what Jesus is talking about with the eyeball. The eye matters. And seeing falsely is actually worse than being blind. See, pride won't let somebody admit that they're blind. Pride causes us in our blindness to go, no, I see clearly, and we trip over everything. And it ends up being worse. Worry is an eye issue. And lastly, right before Jesus speaks this question, he brings to mind our devotion. He says, look, you can't serve one master over here and try and serve the same master. Serve another master over here because you will end up loving one and hating the other or loving this one and hating and despising this one. Worry is a devotion issue. And all we try and do is we try and fragment our devotion and all it ends up being is really bad for us. A fragmented heart is a broken heart and a worrying heart. If we're saying partial commitment to God, partial commitment to my job, partial commitment to my family, partial commitment, we've lost it. And it will actually be worse for us because our devotion is fragmented. Worry is a devotion issue, which is why at Highland, one of our core values is full devotion to Jesus. Full devotion means just that full devotion. It doesn't mean that I show up on Sunday. That shows how fully devoted I am. No, it doesn't. Full devotion is in the morning when I wake up. My thoughts are, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything that you see going on there, please bring it here. Don't let me miss it. Don't let me fix my eyes on things that are broken. Don't let my eyes look at the things that are actually deadly to me. Let me look at the light. Let me look at life. Fill me up. Full devotion, not partial. Whenever I've done I have never had this happen at a wedding. I have never had, when I'm marrying a a husband and a wife, as they stand there, I have never had either the bride or the groom say, I give you my part devotion. I've never had a bride or a groom turn and look to someone else and go, I'm going to love you as much as I love this person I'm making this commitment to. Ever. For good reason. (laughs) Full devotion means full devotion. Worry is a devotion issue. Then Jesus says these words. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he says, That is why. He just explained to us. Treasure, eyeball, devotion, all of those things. If they're pointed in the wrong way, your life is over. Destruction will happen. The results and the consequences are tied to what we look at, to what we treasure, and what we're devoted to. He's saying, That is why. To your life. I love that Jesus has shared with us how dangerous it is to look at things. But then he goes, You know what? If you want to play this look at game, look at the birds. If you're going to look somewhere, look at the birds. I would love for the Discovery Channel just once for there to be the, the guy who's like, Let's listen in as the hummingbirds figure out their meal plans for the week. Let's listen in and hear how these pigeons are going to get jobs, and they're ready to show up and work hard for their, for their good-earned food. Let's listen in as the cardinal prepares himself to get clothes for school. and let's We're not going to hear that. But he says, stare at the birds. He doesn't just say glance at them. He doesn't just say kind of, ah, birds. And he, no, he's, this is actually learn to understand when you look at these birds. Martin Luther, a a very old church guy, if you will, said it this way in his autobiography. He says, I have one preacher I love better than any other. It is my little tame Robin who preaches to me daily. I put his crumbs upon my windowsill, especially at night. He hops onto the sill when he wants his supply and takes as much as he desires to satisfy his need and from there, he always hops to a little tree close by and lifts up his voice to God and sings his carol of praise and gratitude, tucks his little head under his wings and goes fast asleep to leave tomorrow to look for itself. Jesus is saying, Look, if you're going to look someplace, look at the birds. If you're struggling with worry, look at the birds. This isn't just abstract or artsy or what, it's look at the birds. We have a hummingbird feeder that sits at right outside of our window in my living room, and I could stare at those things all day long. I really could. It's fascinating. I love watching them. I love watching them work. I love watching them fight because that's all hummingbirds do. They really do. They just fight. They're like, we have a whole jar of sugar water, and we're going to fight over it, and we drink a drop. I don't understand it. They're just like human beings, but still, they're amazing to watch. Jesus is saying, when he says, look at the birds, he's not just saying, glance at them. He's saying, stare at them. Gaze at them. Watch how they are cared for. Watch what they don't care about. And you, as human beings, made in the image of God, cared for more than the birds by God. Learn from them. You don't see them worried. They leave tomorrow to fend for itself their eyes are fixed on today. Jesus is not promoting a lazy view of life. He's simply pointing to what matters more than our bodies and our food or drink or our clothing. A divided heart is an anxious heart, a worried heart. The body, food, clothing, these aren't just about basic needs. You and I, we live in America, Where our new churches are hospitals and our new pastors are doctors. We really do. How do we extend our life as long as we possibly can? How can we make this life last longer and be fuller? And how can I guarantee I won't get sick? And how can I make sure that I stay healthy and I don't do the wrong things? And we obsess over our health. Food choices, all of the the rages that we find ourselves in, posts on Facebook, don't eat this. Well, those people who said don't eat this, they should eat this and this. I mean, it's just going bananas. And we obsess over these things and we get so anxious over them. Am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? And we worry and we worry. Now, yes, take care of yourself. But if it's becoming a source of anxiety, it could be an idol, Clothing isn't just about what we're going to wear. Clothing has always represented, through history, relevance. So when I'm saying I'm worried about what I'm going to wear, I'm actually saying, do I matter? Am I going to have any relevance to anyone? Do I matter for anything in this world? Do I matter at all? Does anyone notice me? This is not just about putting on a shirt. This is about saying, do I matter in this life? And will anyone know, notice me if I'm gone? Worrying about these things, Jesus said, will destroy us. Jesus guarantees that. The problem with worry is that it's not simply something we do from time to time. Worry is sin. Worry is not just something that I deal with every once in a while. Worry is described as sin. And it's us going, you know what, well, well I'm just concerned about important things. But the truth is we're sinning. And here's why it's sin. Because it rejects God's promise to care for us today. Worry is sin because it tells God, you cannot care for me today. It's not just being concerned, but it's allowing sin to drive. Worry is blind. It's blind because it rejects the lessons that we learn when we look at the bird in the flowers that we'll see. It's us looking at the birds. It's us looking at the flowers. It's us going, huh, that's really cool. But no, God can't care for me the way he cares for those things. Can you see why worry would be such a big deal in the life of a Christ follower and why Jesus would go, there's no room for it. Because for those that are His, we know that our Heavenly Father will provide all of our needs. For people who don't know Him, for people who aren't running or looking at God or care about Him at all, yes, what should I eat? What should I drink? What should I wear? Those will be common questions. Those will be the questions that dominate the thoughts of people who do not trust God for their day-to-day. But for those that are His, we are consumed by another pursuit. Our pursuit doesn't look like, what will we drink? What will we wear? What will we eat? Our pursuit is different because we know that our Heavenly Father can provide for all our needs today. Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't do work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, he will certainly care for you Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So now you don't only look at the birds, but you look at the flowers. And the common denominator of both of those things is that God cares for them. And the greater truth that comes from that is he cares more for you. The greater truth of knowing that God cares for the birds and the flowers is that not only that God can care for you, but that he wants To care for you, I think sometimes we go, Yeah, I think he can care for me. I just don't know that he wants to care for me. The beautiful truth here is that he wants to care for his creation. Humanity, whether or not we're willing to admit it, was made to be cared for. I know we think, I'm a self made man, I'm a self made woman. No, you're not. You have a creator who had one thing in mind when he made you. To care for you. To give you all you need. And that first and foremost need is him. Thankfully, he's free with himself. I want to care for you. This kind of life isn't just for crunch time or or when things get hard or when things are difficult, this is an everyday, moment by moment thing. And when we are more worried about maintaining all the stuff that God has handed us, we have identified our idols. If we're more concerned about maintaining all the things than we are maintaining a relationship with God, then we have identified our idols. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells this, he, he's, he's speaking to all these people and this dude just stands up and says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to split the share of my family's fortune with me. He's not doing it. And Jesus is like, look, I'm not that kind of judge, but you need to be careful. You can't build your life on what you have. And then he tells this story about a farmer who's got all these crops, and he's like, I don't know what to do with all these crops. I know. I'll build a barn. I'll build a big barn, and I'll make it so it's so big that all my crops can fit in there, and then I will be happy. I'll sit back. I'll relax. I'll enjoy life. And then you hear God say to him, You fool. Your life is over. Now, who will get all that you work so hard for? And Jesus concludes with this word A person is a fool. To store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. The kingdom pursuit and pursuing God and His righteousness and everything else produces a calm heart in us simply because we see the one who made our hearts. When you catch a glimpse of the maker of your heart who knows you better than you know yourself, you are able to face today with certainty. Yet tomorrow, who knows? But today, I can face with certainty the things that I am certainly facing. What I know is right here, I can face. Because I trust that God cares for me more than he cares for the birds. And he cares for those birds greatly. Paul puts it this way when when he's talking to Timothy. in, In 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 9, he says, But people who long to be rich... Fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many Sorrows, that word pierce themselves is the word image, is to run into something that pierces your flesh and then to keep running into it so that it goes deeper into your body. Like to keep pressing up against whatever has pierced you. That is the type of destruction the love of money causes us to run to. Self-inflicted And then he reminds Timothy of who he is in Christ and what Christ has done and to keep an eternal perspective. And he closes with these words in verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. I love that he would say that. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. And that's what we want, right? We want to know, are we really living? Am I really living? Is is what I've stepped into, is it real life or or is it it not? And in Jesus' eyes and in the kingdom perspective, Laying up treasure in heaven becomes our primary goal, and it's not because we're doing good works to earn heaven. It's because we've been given a new way to live, and that is serving others. That lays a foundation to true life. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom, and that doesn't mean when you wake up, you seek the kingdom for 10 minutes, then it's the worry expressed the rest of the day. It means every moment the kingdom directs and drives And the king of that kingdom has my heart. Full devotion to Christ is the truest and fullest cure for worry over things that the world is consumed with. The one who already knows tomorrow, he knows tomorrow. So I can face today with certainty. As the band comes and we close this morning and we we take communion together, I think there is a danger with worry. And as We let something with no substance because it's in the future, right? A good question would be what were you worrying about this time last year? Do you know? Probably not. But we let something with very little substance, because we don't even know we're guaranteed tomorrow. We let it cloud our judgment. We let it block us from seeing the faithfulness of God's promises in the Scripture and in nature. When we look at the birds, we go, oh, that's not, it doesn't matter. The birds, it, God can't care for me the way he cares for the birds. We look at his faithfulness in the Scripture, in Christ. We see what Jesus did on the cross for us. And we go, uh, oh, that doesn't matter. He can't care for me today. And so we run to sin. We do what we can to meet our needs is why worry would be so cutting and so hurting to the Christ follower. Could the source of all our worry be rooted in the reality that we have begun to trust the things that God has entrusted to us? Could the roots of all of our worry be that we have made idols out of the gifts God has given us? The sources of my worry may not look like the sources of your worry, but it's sin. And thankfully, the cross of Christ dealt with our sin. It's catching a glimpse of Jesus at this table. When we stand here and we take the bread and we dip it in the juice and we take it in, what we're saying is, God, thank you for dealing with my worry. Thank you for taking on yourself the sin that I deserve, the rejection of you and your promises that I deserve death for. You instead gave me life. Christ alone. So if I could summarize everything as we come to this table, Jesus says you can look at stuff, you can look at other people's stuff. And then he tells us that you can either look at God or you can look at stuff. Then he narrows it down a little more and says, life's not about stuff. And he says, but if you're going to look at stuff, look at the right stuff, the bird, the flowers. Because when you look at the right stuff, you look at the maker of the stuff. And when you look at the maker of the stuff, you don't worry about the stuff. Every morning, that's the choice. Stuff or the maker of this stuff, and the result will either be faith or worry. So as we come this morning to the table, to the bread, to the juice, to the body, to the blood of Christ, we take it in, we remember that Christ died because I'm a worrier. He took my sinful worry upon himself who had no worry Innocent, dying for the guilty. May we come to this table thankful this morning. Father, truly, can any of our worry add even a single moment to our lives? The answer is no, you knew that. But God, I pray that if they're the idols in our lives that we're chasing after, God, if it's a treasure question, an eyeball question, a devotion question, help us see why you should be the treasure, why why our eyes should be fixed on you, why our devotion can be fully yours and doesn't have to be divided. And Lord, you will help us deal with today as today is here. Tomorrow, if it comes, you'll give us new mercies. We get that promise in the scriptures, but we don't even know if tomorrow will come. So don't let us build our lives on, on ideas and thoughts that we have might happen. Let us see you for who you are, and we can trust you for today. As we come to this table, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for, for taking my worry upon yourself. You who had no worry because you alone hold the future. You took it on yourself and made it possible for us to have right relationship with you, our first and foremost need. It's in your name we pray. Amen.